Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and ask us. The more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. Penis Project Podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by Prost, Exercise for Prostate Cancer Incorporated, a not-for-profit charity set up in 2012 by myself. Dr. Joan Williams. If you want to know any more information about Prost, including our online service now available, please just go to prost.com.au. Prost means cheers to your health, so Prost to you. Where I want to call my home. So stop for a second and listen. It's not silent at all. Welcome, this is Dr. Joe, and we have special guests today, Punch and Judy. Now, I've not met Punch and Judy ever before, so this is an opportunity to start from afresh as though we're coming to see a physiotherapist for the very first time. Now, Punch and Judy's story is that Punch actually has already had treatment for prostate cancer. So we're going to step back into history. So welcome, Punch. Thank you very much, Joe. And Judy. Hi, Joe. Thanks for having us. Good. So we want to um, basically discuss things as if we're a couple going from beginning to current day prostate cancer kind of status. So we're going to reflect back, uh, Punch. Can you remember when you were first diagnosed with prostate cancer? When actually was that? That's going back uh, four, maybe five years ago now. I, uh, I went to see my uh, GP and he said that we'll do some blood tests and the blood tests come back high for PSA. And then he sent me through, through a uh, CAT scan and an MRI and all that. And then it realised that I had prostate cancer. And then I had to go to uh, have uh, biopsies done, two biopsies. Right. And one lot, they took 14 samples and the second one they took 10 samples. Because where the, pro- the cancer was, was on top of my prostate. So it was difficult to get to in the first biopsy? Yes, they couldn't, they couldn't reach it. So the blood test was, was that something that had been rising up over a couple of years or how did well, they determine? To be quite truthful, it was the first time I'd ever noticed the PSA. I don't know whether they hadn't done it before or what, but I'd, it had never come back, as far as I know, with high readings. Okay, so the... As far as you n- knew, that was just from a blood test. Were there any other symptoms that you were potentially dealing with at the time? No. Changes to the bladder function, sexual function? No. None whatsoever. None whatsoever. You can ask Judy about the sexual <laughs> function. <'cause> <laughs> well, why don't we? <laughs> Judy, were you aware of any changes? There was actually no indication whatsoever. The GP did ask us if he'd been urinating frequently anything, any sort of signs of something going on and there was absolutely nothing. It was just a pure 
freak chance that he decided it was a new doctor's surgery. He decided to do a full set of blood work just to get his records up to date. Okay. Yep. And the reading came up a little bit high. Mm. But because of Punch's job, he at the time he was driving trucks and things like that. Um, and they said it could have a little bit of an effect on the reading. So he had a few days off work and took just made a bit had, had a, a bit, bit of a rest. rest. Yep. Yeah. And a second reading, which did come down slightly. The initial reading was thirteen. And it came down to nine. Okay. And from there he suggested we do a CT just to make sure. So there was a barrage of medical tests and then it was concluded that, yes, we have found <coughs> prostate cancer from that second biopsy. And that was what we called a transperineal biopsy. So they had to go uh, between, what did you say to me earlier? <laughs> <laughs> Be- between me ring gear and me nuts was the exact wording actually. <laughs> And they had to go up with a needle to get the bites from where the actual tumour was on top of my pr- prostate. And from that, they they realised it was, was cancer and they had to be operated on. And we didn't find out until after the operation, but it was classed as stage four cancer at the time. Right. So it was really fortunate that that GP, that new GP, ran those tests for you by the sounds of it. Very fortunate. Okay, so let's then move on to the type of surgery that Punch received. Well, uh, first they, they weren't sure, the two doctors weren't sure whether it was going to be uh, robotics or the other sort, but because of where the uh, cancer was situated, they had to do, the, it was called a radical open prostectomy, where they cut you from just below your navel to your pelvic th- uh, bone and then take it out through the, through there. Okay. And do you remember, Judy, at the time, how was Punch dealing with all of this news? Was it something that was, uh, you know, a great shock or, yeah? It, it probably was a shock because there weren't any symptoms. But um, we, we sort of sat... Um, we sat on a, on the line. We it wasn't a stage at that point where we wanted to panic. Yeah, but it um, we just trusted that the GP would sort of guide us through what was going to happen. There were uh, quite a few sleepless nights. <laughs> we lived in a remote area, right? So okay. we didn't have access to um, specialists and things. It was a lot of travel backwards and forwards. So. Um, those days where you were having a test done and then having to wait for results were quite hectic. I can theory. imagine, yeah. Um, but generally, he handled it reasonably well. Once we knew we had that diagnosis, um, things moved pretty quickly. Mm. So it wasn't a lot of time in between uh, to sit and think about what was going to happen. And do you recall being offered the opportunity to go and speak to radiation oncologists to go and find out about that or any other type of treatment or was it pretty much recommended for surgery? Yes, it was recommended for surgery and they spoke about radiation if they didn't get all of it, radiation treatment after the surgery because they prefer... if If they give you the radiation treatment before the surgery... It becomes a bit mushy if they've got to operate at a later date. So they operated 
to make sure they got what they could and they had to take part of my bladder wall to get their margins when they do the surgery. So they, they and I didn't have to have radiation after that. Okay, so we'll go to the uh, actual date of the surgery now. So this was some four, four and a half years ago by the sounds yeah, of it. 18th of April, four, yeah. 2017, four, yeah. Yep, 2017, yep. Okay, so you were wheeled into theatre. Yes. Lights out. Yes. See you later <laughs> for a few hours. Definitely, yeah. And then when you woke up, can you remember what you first felt or saw? When you <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like there's a bit of a... Uh, <coughs> perhaps Judy would like to add, <laughs> add here. <laughs> right. You go ahead, Judy. Unfortunately, didn't wake up very well from the anaesthetic. Okay. He'd had just a few small pieces of watermelon and um, a little bit of water and probably vomited okay. all over the poor young nurses who were just doing a shift change. Mm. And, of course, so he still had um, his theatre gown on and um, no no underwear. The gown was open, a catheter in. He'd also had two lymph nodes removed from his groin, so he had a drain in at the same time. And as he calls it, the fruit and veg mm-hmm. were black. Lack of. Completely black. And it just looked like one big piece of liver. Right. So and do you uh, know what she means by the fruit and veg, <laughs> I do know what fruit and veg. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I just thought I'd mention but, but, it. But maybe others don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, punch, please expand. Uh, the fruit and veg are the penis and the uh, ball bag. <laughs> <laughs> the testes. Testes, testes yeah. <laughs> okay, so so this uh, was you know quite a quite a scene to look down and, and see <laughs> your own body sort of somewhat rearranged. Oh, tell me about it! <laughs> I was real worried. <laughs> and because he had vomited, the poor nurses yeah. who had just come on duty were trying to clean him up, and um, he was trying to cover himself over. It was wasn't really the right time to be modest. <laughs> So all of this is still very memorable four and a half years later. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so I actually had a patient who completely freaked out and this is why I asked you this question. And when he actually awoke and found that, you know, he actually had all of that, you know, attached to him, plus he was wearing compression stockings, he he actually was very, very, very distressed. And uh, the reason I brought it up is to just um, make sure that others going through this experience know that there will be quite a... Uh, a range of medical apparatus potentially uh, attached to you. You'll probably get forewarned, but it's still when you're a bit drowsy, it's still something that can hit hit hard. Yeah, it is. It really is. But I think it, I think what helped get me through it a fair bit was my apparently I've got a warped sense of humour. <laughs> 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 so that always maybe that helps. helped me through it. You know, like yeah. Because I still joke about things today. You know, some of the things that have happened along the way about me roundabout that yep. I spoke to you about just before we started on the air. And because uh, I've, I've had, uh, the, when they've done the biopsies and other tests, I've had the camera in a couple of times and in a couple of places. So I've just said they've put a roundabout in now so they, they don't <laughs> have to use all that. They can just take the stuff in and out. <laughs> okay, so now we're going to move on. You had the catheter in for how long? Do you remember the catheter? Was it a week or two weeks? No, the catheter was in for three weeks, I think. He had the catheter in, but the drain 
from the lymph node area was in for roughly six. Mm. Okay, so that was quite a complicated outcome there. Yeah. Do you remember, because this is always a question guys <coughs> ask me, does it hurt to get the catheter removed? No, it, uh, it, does, it didn't hurt. It just the little tube at the end, when that bit comes out, there's a, it wasn't a hurt. It was just you can feel it coming through your penis, you know. But it didn't hurt. To me. Well, I didn't think it did. Good. That that's, that's reassuring, I'm sure, for many guys. Yeah, well, yeah, the catheter, yeah. When you, especially when you see it first up, you think, oh, how did they fit that big hose in my little thing? <laughs> 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 well, and so, well, yeah. Uh, but it, it doesn't, didn't hurt. Maybe it was the nurse I had that was taking it out. She I was probably know. very experienced. She was, actually. She's fantastic. Well, I must say that... The staff at Fiona Stanley Hospital were outstanding. Wonderful. Now, my area as a physiotherapist is what we're actually having our consult today all over because it's four years since your surgery and I believe you still have got some urinary leakage that occurs. So we're going to just recall physiotherapy involvement. Did you get to see the physiotherapist at all prior to your surgery to learn about pelvic floor training? Yes, I did. I've seen it before we left where we were living up north, because in the car on the drive down, I was doing pelvic floor exercises, and I did see a, a, a person for uh, my rehabilitation after. And you also got into trouble for sitting in the car doing your pelvic floor exercises because they don't necessarily work. Mm. So well. Uh, so, yeah, that was the basis of my research to try and encourage the guys to be a little bit more proactive with trying it in standing postures. And that's a big part of what we've been discussing in our uh, podcast previously based on the research. But I'm curious, uh, Punch, how much do you still leak compared to right at the very beginning? So, when you had your catheter removed, you probably wore a number of pads a day. Do you recall that? Yeah, well, I was. Probably seven. Seven yeah. pads yeah. over yeah. like 24-hour period? Yeah, yeah, because after the – yeah, yeah, it was, was a few pads because – but I was wearing thicker pads back then too, mm. not yep. the same as what I still wear now because I the leakage is minimal uh, most of the time. But now, if I'm yep. out in the yard working or lifting stuff, then I get a bit more leakage. Okay, so the seven pads a day, how long did it take for it to drop down to one pad per day as it is currently? I've been on one pad a day for probably, oh, maybe a year and a half. Okay, so it's still taken quite a while but to was, gradually it, it improve. Gradu- yeah, mm. it gradually come down over that time to about a year and a half now that I've been on the one pad. But some days I still get leakage. If Depends if I drink beer. So that was going to be my next question. I always ask, what is it that you're drinking every day? Because some, some drinks that have caffeine and alcohol in them, even green tea and just normal standard tea and coffee drinks, can actually really stimulate the bladder to be irritated by the diuretic effect. So what's an average-looking day of fluid like for you, Punch, at the moment? Well, over the morning I'll have probably two cups of tea in the morning. Is that caffeinated normal tea? Yes. Okay. Yep. What else would and there be I in a typical day? Around lunchtime, I might have a, a water or uh, a Coke with no sugar. 
Okay. And the rest of the day, what would it consist of typically? Mouthful of water here and there. I don't. And then at later in the afternoon, it might become a happy hour. Happy hour at your <coughs> place? Yeah, but not not on not on a regular basis. I might have two or three cans of beer. Yeah, let's but, be clear here. <laughs> but that doesn't happen on a regular basis. I used to drink four cans of beer in one quarter of footy. Right. Go before all this happened. Yeah. So it's really slowed your drinking yeah. habit, alcohol habits down. Yeah. Oh yeah, big time. And I used to drink Coke with sugar and after the operation, I did, couldn't handle the taste of the Coke with sugar. That's why I've gone to the Coke with no sugar. Okay. So I normally educate my patients to only have one caffeinated drink per day. So that would be for you swapping over to a decaffeinated tea mm-hmm. and then potentially just having your Coke, your sugar-free Coke as the one caffeinated drink per day okay. or, uh, you know, choosing even the caffeine-free Coke we can actually get hold of and um, having just one cup of tea. So we're trying to maximise all the things that we could actually do to uh, limit how much you might leak if you're still keen to get rid of the pads completely because I feel very much that we can still work with you at any time (coughs) post-op to to assist you. I'd I'd try that. I'll try anything. See, when I've done the uh, physio... They also, because they, they check when you're doing your pelvic floor, they, they, they check your muscles. They With look the ultrasound, at you. yep. Yeah, and they check, or they, they watch your muscles to see if you te- tense your muscles up in your stomach. But they also said when I'm doing it at home, to stand in front of the mirror naked and watch myself to see if my muscle, stomach muscles <laughs> were working. And I said, no way in the world I'm standing in front of a mirror looking at myself with no clothes on. <laughs> not, that's not your cup of tea? <laughs> no, it's not my cup of tea. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> so you've never actually seen Punch at, at this task, Judy? No, never. <laughs> never have, never will. <laughs> okay, so it is actually something that we do recommend and that's just to make sure that the abdominal muscles are not over-accentuated in the action. So if you were brave enough to stand and look at yourself, um, Punch, we would say... Let your belly relax and just notice when you lift your pelvic floor, it's squeezing the front passage and trying to draw, as I always say, the nuts to the guts, <laughs> which yeah, would yeah. Uh, <laughs> basically encourage the testes to rise and the penis to draw in a little. And the sphincter to close. And the sphincter to close. <laughs> yeah. And we <laughs> want to mostly focus on the urinary sphincter at the front if you've had yes. surgery for the urinary um, incontinence. So, Punch, what I'd recommend, if you're happy to try so, is to swap over to some decaffeinated tea, stick with your Coke, and then maybe add in a a glass or two extra water a day. So we bring you up to about one and a half litres of fluid a day and we want to sort of um, maybe not think about the the cans of beer on that day being included in that total. And I'm going to ask, do you get up through the night to empty your bladder, Punch? Not... On a regular basis, usually at about five o'clock in the morning, I'll get up and go to the toilet. Okay. And then currently, again, without alcohol included in, in this question, how many times a day do you think you might empty your bladder? Oh, depends on whether I'm out in the yard. When I'm out in the yard, I seem, seem to do it more often. If I'm riding on the ride on mower, I don't know whether that affects my bladder, but I seem to be hopping off the ride on mower to have a urinate. Okay, sometimes the vibration effect does actually fatigue the pelvic floor. Yeah. So what I try and encourage guys to do is start with a minimum 
of two hours between one bladder empty and the next. Try and get the bladder loaded up a little bit. Yeah. So we might get you to try that. But if you don't have as much caffeine in your system, it should be easier to hang on to as well. Yeah. I realise on some days when I get off the mower or whatever, there's very little coming out. So I'm not needing one. Yeah. I'm just, it's, I think it's mind over matter. Bit of habit. Yeah, it is. You do yeah, the just so in case we. Yeah. So we're going to encourage you to, A, number one, reduce your caffeine, swap over to a decaffeinated blend or a herbal type variety, stick to your one caffeine a day, which is your sugar-free Coke, Coke. and then try and practice bladder training, which means hanging on for that little bit longer, longer. a minimum of two hours between each empty. So we're aiming to get to the loo just five to six times a day. Whenever we go out somewhere, that's the first thing he says, where's the toilet? And he goes i don't know if it's a confidence thing if he thinks that there's going to be some leakage and there's that embarrassment of being out in public if it was to happen I've this morning it could have been a nervous one yeah <laughs> so this of, is a case because of this <laughs> yeah because we were doing the, the interview yeah. yeah so just think to yourself do i need to go because my blood is actually telling me like a strong urge signal or is it because uh, i'm just making the opportunity fire a head decision like just in case because I can. But these are really common, um, you know, scenarios for most guys going through this. So um, you'd often learn to get around it by just changing your habits. But we want to try and get you out of pads, you know, completely. So if we can work I'd on like that. I'd like Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it is possible, I'm sure. It's just uh, we're now going to move on to your pelvic floor exercises. So in our brief little discussion before we started our um, session today, you said that if you did too many pelvic floors, sometimes you leaked a bit more. So I'm curious, Punch, how many times a day are you doing your pelvic floor at the moment? Well, while I was sat on the bed then, I'd just done a couple, but they were only <laughs> the three second ones. But uh, during the day, I'll probably do it three or four times during the day, during the course of the day at the moment. Can I ask, Joe? Sure. You mentioned earlier about standing, mm-hmm. doing their exercises. I catch him sitting down and counting his repetitions. But if I was to say anything to him, I'm nagging. But <laughs> how shall I rule? So you say that to nag on the radio, did you? <laughs> Well, the thing is that... It's it, not it that, is but it's, you want to be doing them correctly. Yeah. yeah. It, it is okay to do them in any position, and I'd much prefer patients to do them than to not do them. But if you think about when you actually leak punch, it's probably more when you're moving, coughing, um, <coughs> squeezing, bending, doing actions that are like a downward pressure in your pelvic floor, not so much when you're sitting still or lying down. Yeah. So the whole goal of my research was to say, let's look at when men do leak and let's train them in the position that's more likely to benefit you. So that's why it is best if we can do that in combination with up, upright standing postures up. like standing, hence uh, standing in front of the mirror, which, you know, you never might know might be something that you do see actually I'd, happens. I'd, I'd break the mirror. You do? <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty ugly. <laughs> that's why you're on radio. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Uh, the other thing is, did you ever get taught little quick ones that take about one second each, just to lift and let go, lift and let go, to yep. punch them out? So do you do those as well? Yes. Well, like this morning, when I was out at the table, I, I'd do one. I'm doing it now yep. while I'm talking <laughs> to you. Great. And one second between. and But I'm, I count in my head while I'm talking too. It's, it's a mean feat for me doing two things at once. 
apparently. <laughs> it <laughs> but, is. Yeah. And you but can I do can, it. I do do that Great. on occasions, yes. So we'd be aiming for like 10 little short, sharp ones about one second each. Yes. And then we'd look at that pelvic floor and we'd start at maybe three seconds each with lift and hold for three, rest for three and see whether or not you can cope with that. And I think you've already built up to 10 seconds, is that? Well, that's going back a while. Now I'm up, I'm up to six seconds again. Okay. I can do a hold for six seconds. I'm not counting at the moment, but I am holding. So it would be really good to build it back up to 10 seconds. And we might just start with a set that's 10 quick and 10 holding at six seconds, then relaxing for six seconds. So that would be 10 holding ones, 10 quick ones. Yep. To do that in standing, we might just start with something like three sets is a day that, at the moment. Is that in conjunction? Do like that set of 10 quick ones, 10 six-second ones. Back to back. Back to back. Yep. Yeah. So that's 10 plus 10, <coughs> 20 <coughs> separate <coughs> exercises. Mm-hmm. And to do that in standing three times a day. Okay. And if you, you know, intermittently through the day want to do a few more while you're sitting, driving, whatever that might be, that could also be advantageous and it's unlikely to fatigue the pelvic floor as much. Okay. All right? Yep. So how would we know if you were actually improving? So I would normally review you in about a month punch and a lot of um, physiotherapists would use something called the 24-hour bladder chart where we would actually measure and get you to weigh those pads. Have you ever ever actually done that punch? No, I haven't. Okay, so one gram of urine is equal <coughs> to one mil. So we would ask you to – one mil lost. So we'd ask you to simply record what you drank that day and then to weigh that one pad that you use to then work out exactly how much was lost That's into the pad. Simple. So if it was 25 grams <coughs> in the – pad it would be 25 mils but we'd want to also subtract the weight of the dry pad so the a dry pad might weigh 10 grams so we'd say 26 mils take 16 grams would be just 10 mils of leakage or sorry um i said the pad was 10 so 26 mils take 10 mils for the pad would be the 16 gram net net weight loss so we would then want to get you to do that perhaps once a week or three days in a row to see if we were actually improving over time. So that would be an exercise that I'd like you to do after our consult today and we'll basically um, be able to check that up um, as we go. So there's every likelihood punch that we could continue to improve if we get you in those upright postures doing the exercises. How does that feel for you to add that in? Yeah, not a problem. I'll I'll try anything. (laughs) Good to hear. like I said, I'd love to be able to get rid of the pads completely. Okay. And do you feel like you leak anything at night? Uh, sometimes, yes. If I've had a, them a few beers, yeah. I tend to leak a little bit at night. Okay. But I do leak a little bit at night, but not not a lot, you know? Yeah. So after we've caught up with each other a second time, I'd probably like to progress you to having a go without pads at night, particularly on the nights where you're not. Drinking. Drinking alcohol. Yeah. We might start with a much smaller pad. Like, like I a said, I don't shield. drink a lot now anyway. Yeah. It's pretty much because we have family living with us for a short amount of time. So, um. We have happier. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's all understandable. And four years down the track, you know, yeah. it's it's a long time yeah. out from the surgery. But still, we, we can actually, you know, change these. Any um, improvement would yeah. be a good one. With a few simple suggestions. Yeah. So I'm going to move on now to the sexual function. And way back <coughs> at the beginning, did you get to work with someone like Melissa at all? Uh, 
preoperatively or was that something that you picked up <coughs> post-op? So Judy might add in the review of what happened here. Melissa came to us post-op. Okay. We were living in the Pilbara. We had to move down to Perth for puncture surgery <coughs> and we didn't have a GP down here. We weren't sure how long we were going to have to be down here, um, whether there was going to be any chemo radiation treatment sure. involved. So we knew that we were going to be down for at least a few months, if not longer. Then we were suggested by the surgeon um, that we see Melissa for follow-up, rehab. And so we've been... I think it may have been three, four months after surgery. And Punch, do you remember what you started with? You started on some tablets. Did you get a vacuum pump? Where did it all, all begin for you, the sexual oh. function recovery? Oh, I don't know. I, I, when I see Melissa, because I hadn't, I had, I thought sexual function wasn't going to happen anymore. But <laughs> well, after I see <laughs> Melissa and found out that it will, can happen. I, I got a bit excited for myself. <laughs> <laughs> and so you should have. So that was quite a revelation because you knew you'd be both incontinent and impotent from the surgery. But <coughs> Well, they told me that uh, it was non-nerve sparing. So all the nerves would be gone. So you just expected that that, that was the end of the yeah, sexual yeah, life for you. Yeah. And so what happened then? How, how did things progress? Well, it didn't stop me from having naughty thoughts. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and that's when... Uh, one of the n nurses that was looking after us, at Fiona Stanley, recommended Melissa for this sort of thing. And that's we, we went, made an appointment to see Melissa and went along the advice that she gave with us. And what, what was that actually? So Melissa <coughs> actually went through and explained the process of, in, of doing the self-injections and taught Wally how to do that. And taught Punch how to do that. Yeah, with, with her little friend on her desk. <laughs> I think we'd better enlarge on that one. Please explain the little friend on the desk. <laughs> what's, his, what's his name again? Is that Jeffrey? Jeffrey, that's Jeffrey. him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, she showed me how to inject the uh, biomix or whatever you're using into Jeffrey and how to, where to hold it and what spot to hit. Sometimes you miss as you go along, but that happens. <laughs> but how to, where to eject it, and then what to do with it. You know, holding, holding the base of the penis tight, and for uh, three minutes to make sure that the the stuff stays in the. One minute is it? Oh, oh it's always good to have Judy's correction <laughs> yeah, here. Yeah, it's well, always good to have four ears. That's because actually Judy that's does because get involved. I'm the one that she's holds she's it. the one doing the holding. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and, and do you remember how you felt when Melissa said, here's Jeffrey and this is what you might have to do? How, how, how did you feel, Punch, about this? Well, uh, yeah, I, I look, because you think uh, a needle in the penis is, is uh, it tends to set you back a little bit until you actually try it, because the needle isn't a big needle. It's not like it's a horse needle or anything. <laughs> and because I'm not a horse, ask Punch about that, Judy about that, apparently. <laughs> but <laughs> I... Uh, I, well, you tend to set back a bit thinking and the needle in the penis, but it, it is, it's, 
I've been doing it for a fair while now. And so did you find it took a little while to work out a formula that worked for you okay? Yes, yes. It took a while to get the right hardness in the penis, different injections, but Melissa worked along with us for that and it just advised us what percentage to go up each time, you know. Just it took a little while, but yeah, we got there. <laughs> and And so... Today, compared to four years ago, do you have to use as much of the units or the medication or did it decrease over time? I have dropped back a little bit on the amount we're using, actually. But I still haven't used... I still haven't learned to use that auto-injector properly. (coughs) Can I ask one question? I'm I'm just hiding here in the corner. Have you dropped back a bit on the amount you're using because Judy's not as keen or because you don't need to use as much anymore? Well, that... Could be part. No, it's because I don't need to use as much because I've got to have a word to you after a bit. It seems to stay a bit longer now. Not in the state I've been able to use for sex though. But I'll talk to you after. <laughs> I have to make an appointment. <laughs> okay, so the, the injection itself it tends to last how long? Once you've actually put in... Well, we'll go back once. How long does it take for the injection to work? Once you've actually put in the medication, how long does it take for the penis to kind of grow? 15 minutes. 10, 10 to 15. 15 minutes. And do you, do you need to stimulate the area as well or would it would it just kind of rise on its own? Well, we do do a bit of foreplay while it's getting to that stage anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's great because that's, that's what we're... <laughs> Here to share the stories all about to yes. help others. <coughs> and Melissa, would that be absolutely necessary for the foreplay to still be involved with self-stimulation with the injection? No. So I always say jokingly to patients that you can think about your grandmother's underpants and hopefully that doesn't turn you on and it'll still go up. But it definitely helps because it's pumping more blood flow in. So you get a better response with stimulation and with being turned on, but you will get an erection regardless. Yeah. And do you have any explanation as to why Melissa punches uh, erections might be after all this time responding a little bit better or staying a little bit longer? Uh, I'm assuming that it's because the healing process is happening and your nerves have started to get a bit better but a bit more responsive. So, um, yeah, I mean that's just good news but it's obviously not enough that you need to not use the injection but as time goes on often we reduce the dose. Excellent. And even though Punch said that he had non-nerve sparing, we do often find that even with that um, sort of diagnosis that years down the track, two to four years down the track, some patients start to get some emergence of erectile function. And I've seen that quite a few times clinically myself, so that's (coughs) really interesting. I would just like to ask you on this, have you noticed any spontaneous stirrings or erectile function yourself just maybe in the mornings or anything like that over the years? Oh, I, I suppose you could say that I do get a little urge every now and then. Uh, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it gets anywhere near, anywhere what it should be. But I suppose you could say I do get a little bit. I, it's a bit hard to put a say exactly say what it. Yeah, maybe we if could I say watch like it, a percentage, it, like a ten percent or a. Fu- Forty percent, five percent, five percent. But that's something I didn't have for a long time. Yeah. Okay, that's really interesting. Over time, that things can change. But um, (coughs) have you found, as a couple, that the injections have been a satisfactory process for you to continue to have this, you know, sort of ongoing? 
intimacy? Well, I'm satisfied. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know about Judy. <laughs> but I'm pretty happy. <laughs> they, um, they are working. Yes. Um, it's, some days it does feel like it's very clinical, very structured yeah. because of the, the situation. But if you have somebody, a partner with you who's understanding of what you've been through and it, it takes that away f- from... Sure. You know. So you can be a, a comfort and support for one another because yeah. you've had the whole opportunity to work through the, pr- the process together. Hence she does the holding <laughs> on because <laughs> I had trouble doing the injection and get my hand around quick enough to hold on and hold on to the base. So she does it. And Partner I do the work. injecting part, yeah. Punch and duty. Yeah, exactly. Teamwork, it's cool. Teamwork. We did have a little bit of a, a mishap. We tried a different type of in, injector, which would automatically uh, use a syringe. Okay. The dosage. And um, how did that, what happened there? And that wasn't quite in the right spot. So I uh, think we hit the urethra with the... Uh, <laughs> With the syringe, and uh, it was quite a bit of blood. Okay, okay. so we maybe need some more so lessons with Melissa te- on that one. Technique is really important. And one thing to think about there. So you didn't have any. I think it's important because guys often make that mistake, and I don't know how because it's like they turn their penis upside down or something. But <laughs> but anyway, well, I know we're not doing that for you anymore now, Wally. I mean, oops. <laughs> Punch. Um, but I think it's really important to note that how did that go, the healing process after that? Usually there's no problem at all. It heals easily and there's no long-term effects. So yeah, did you there have was, any? There was no long-term effect. I had, I, I, when I was urinating, there was a bit of blood in it for a day or two, but not a problem since. Yeah, no great. Because I think that's important to just <coughs> point that out. So if that happens to anyone else out there, don't stress about it. You really can't do any long-term harm. It's just a blip on the road. And in fairness, the, when you said... They twisted around. It was, I think, because you teach taught to hold the eye. Eye of the penis. <laughs> yeah, eye of the penis, sort of straight. But in the process of trying to inject, I've twisted it around when I'm trying to inject it. And because that auto injector, you had to press it the way I've seen it on the video. You have to press down for that little chamber bit and pressing it down with the penis not uh, erect at all. It was hard to get the pressure on the penis for to do the injection and that's hence I'm trying to get that pressure on the penis and it's twisted around while I'm trying to get the pressure of the on the penis from the needle. Yeah. <coughs> so it is, sounds like a little bit of practice and a little bit of technique um, refinement there. Yeah, for the, the newer one, yes. I, I got the other one down pat actually. But, but I, I wanted just, to, the new one makes things a whole lot easier because yeah. you don't got to press the end of the uh, needle in it just automatically injects it once you hit the button. So I just got to practice at it more, that's all. Okay. It's like anything. But and I could just yeah. add, sorry, that he um, he didn't want to waste that injection. Even though he was bleeding, he still insisted. <laughs> There's <laughs> the red hot <coughs> blooded Aussie male for you. Well, yes. I can't do this for another 24 hours, so I'm not going to waste it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's wonderful. Now, we're going to just move on to the future. Now... Punch, how do you get your PSA or prostate cancer monitored these days? So it's four and a half <coughs> years down the track. 
do you still have to have any checks? Well, what, what's going on there? I still have to have uh, do uh, a blood test, and that's one of the reasons I'm going to see Melissa today. Is I've got to do the blood t- PSA blood test uh, today, so they can get the results back because every six months. Every six months. Every six months, I'm on now. I think in the not too distant future it'll go out to longer than that because I keep all my my, my uh, readings are zero. Great. So that's it, that's been for four years now. So. I think after five years, they go out to 12 months, I think. on well. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's yeah, the case as yeah. well. Yeah, so you get but back to that. all the happen. readings have been great since the operation, so which it was is a, a good thing. Yeah, it was a really good success. Can I just ask, I call it PSA anxiety. When you're waiting for these tests, Punch, and, and you know, <coughs> here we go again, another six months, and even Judy, does this cause any distress for you? Oh, it, it actually, after the first year or two it did. But now, yeah, well, I suppose a little bit, but very, very little now. <coughs> what about for you, Judy? He doesn't actually mention it. He He's almost like he doesn't think about it too much now. And now that we've had quite a few readings that have come back as zeros, uh, he... Um, Probably feels more comfortable with the whole situation. More, more comfortable with it. He, occasionally he'll say... When did I have my last test? And he he tries to remember that there's that six monthly um, follow up mm. follow up to happen. And other than that, you life goes on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, there is light at the end of the tunnel. Great, and uh, you know this has um, been really important to have this chat today to say that we can still make things even a little bit better. Melissa's going to help you improve that technique yes. after today, and I'm going to try and um, help with your ongoing content. So we're going to have a a follow-up review in about a month and we'll do that via Zoom or Skype or even a phone chat if you're not locally here so we can help you regionally. So just as a final wrap, is there any advice you'd like to give to any other couples? Maybe just one comment each for those who might be tuning in and just starting on this whole journey together. We'll start with you, Judy. I think initially when the word cancer was thrown around, it was very daunting. So if you have someone that can go with you to your appointments, that is a huge, huge step because they will take in a lot more information than what you will. You'll focus on the C word, as we call <laughs> we call it, <laughs> and you, you block out all the other noise around you. So if you have someone that can go to your appointments with you and – Maybe ask some questions or take in the information that the doctors are giving you. Hundred percent, totally agree. That's that's a huge thing. Yeah, and we you do f- you do forget <coughs> a lot of things, and to have someone that's backing you up with the answers or that you can say, "What did they say again?" Yep, that's my phrase. Four years is better than two. Mm. And, and ditto. <laughs> and ditto. Plus, uh, all males once you get to forty, go out and get tested because. That's when they tell you to start getting tested and it's better to find it early than late. Yeah, and I've, I've just had a patient who was 44 in my rooms just last week and um, there's a lot of controversy over this. We won't go into it so much on this particular discussion today, but they often say 50, but w- really 40 is a really good age to start because we know there's a, a large number of men that can be picked up. So talking to your family and, and sharing your experience with <coughs> other males is always really important. So that's a great message, Punch. Oh, my, my son is turned, just turned 40 
And I keep, I've been nagging him about getting his Great PSA. Great kid nagging. He's yep. He's, He's been, I think he has now. Great. Well, well done uh, for talking to your son about it and opening up that pathway of conversation. And I'd like to say thank you so much for your honest chat today. It's been a really candid uh, opportunity to talk about all things from the beginning to current day over about a five-year process. So, punch and Judy, thank you so much. Thank you thanks very Joe. much, Joe. Thanks it's been a pleasure. Us. And thanks, Melissa. Thanks, for Melissa, your input. for chipping in. <laughs> thank you for coming. It was great. I'm going to tell you about a boy lives inside me it's been there all of my life hi this is dr joe thank you so much for listening to our program today and we're pleased to let you know that we will be having weekly podcasts not fortnightly as originally proposed and this is because of the popularity of our podcast we're getting so many emails so many questions and so much feedback and melissa and i greatly appreciate it what we'd really love for you to do is share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit, including any man in your life. Simply download off Spotify or subscribe to thepenisproject.org and then you'll get a weekly email of our newest releases. Also feel free to send us a review. And this will greatly help in our ongoing ability to bring you new and fresh information as that's the way we build what comes next. We also have show notes attached and this gives a bit of a background into any additional resources or explanations of what we're talking about. Finally, it's my great pleasure to let you know that PROST, the exercise program which sponsors our podcast, is now available on a USB resource for any man diagnosed with prostate cancer, an exercise program. Clinicians can buy these as well as the everyday bloke. So feel free to check out prost.com.au. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going. And the sorrow of those dread dark days I learned to value each and every one Of those warm afternoons Boys on their bikes Shooting stones at each other through the trees Try to deny the going down of the sun. We're just having too much fun.